Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Epiphany Lutheran Church of Mount Vernon, Virginia. We're a congregation of the Metro DC Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And you can find out more about us on our website at epiphanylutheran.org. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country, and he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The book of Nehemiah, from which we read today, records that when the people of Israel assembled in Jerusalem upon returning from exile, and the book of the Law of Moses was read and explained to them, their first reaction was, to weep. Martin Luther liked to say that the law serves two main functions. First, the law shows us the beautiful life that God has always intended for human beings, that we would live together in community, that at least once a week we would be free to rest from work and to enjoy life, that elders would be honored, that our lives and our relationships and our possessions and our boundaries would be respected, that we would not covet and compete with one another, but rather all share together in the plentiful gifts that are of God that are enough for everyone. But learning that God has this beautiful plan for our human life together has a second effect. We see how far our actual life is from the life that God wants from us. We see how powerful are the forces that grind us down, that extract from us more than is humanly possible to bear. The forces that set us in competition with one another, that tell us that some of us are expendable and not worthy of respect or dignity so the rest of us have to fight for it and earn it for ourselves we become aware that we live lives very far from the beauty of what God wants for us. 
and that the good that God desires for us feels unattainable, at least not something we can achieve on our own in this life by our own efforts. The book of the law that Ezra read to the people gathered at the water gate, the book of the prophet Isaiah that Jesus read to the people gathered in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, these books both fill us with a sense of awe and wonder as they portray a community that practices justice and mutual respect and ensures a good life for everybody. And they fill us with a sense of hopelessness, that the society where we actually live is quite far from that vision, that we ourselves are complicit in our common failure to live out God's vision for humanity, that we are powerless to bring this community into existence ourselves. Luther said that it's only when we've experienced both these effects of the law, when we are awed by its beauty and when we weep for our, how f- far away we are from it. It's only then that we begin to be ready to hear the good news of the gospel, the good news that what seems impossible for us is in fact possible for God, that God has not given up on the divine plan for humanity, that in the resurrection of Jesus, God has defeated the powers and the fears that prevent us from living in God's peace, that one day the will of God for human beings will in fact be done on earth as it is in heaven. In our midweek Bible reading group, we just finished this week a long slog through the book of Deuteronomy, which is probably the book of the law that Ezra would have read to the people on that morning in Jerusalem. In our group, we spent quite a while talking about chapter 15 of Deuteronomy, which says that in addition to the Sabbath day, every seven days when everybody gets one day to rest from work, There will also be a Sabbath year, once every seven years, when, among other things, all debts will be forgiven and all servants will be set free. This is a provision that prevents inequality from developing within the community of Israel, that stops or is intended to stop some people from using debt and dependence to gain power over other people. Before inequality gets too entrenched in the community, before generations get deeply entrenched in poverty and debt, every seven years, the clock will be reset. Every seven years, everyone is called upon to forgive the debts of others and to receive forgiveness for their own debts. The year of Jubilee, they called it. The year of the Lord's favor. This year of the Lord's favor, this Jubilee, is what Isaiah was speaking of in the passage that Jesus read when he went to the synagogue that morning in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to announce liberty for the captives, Release to the prisoners to proclaim 
the year of the Lord's favor. The law itself provided for this year of the Lord's favor, once every seven years, a year when the captives would be freed and the poor would have their ancestral inheritance restored. It's not clear how much the law of the year of Jubilee was actually practiced in ancient Israel. The evidence suggests that it has practical complications and probably wasn't actually followed very often. Certainly by the time of Jesus, it had become a distant memory. The Roman Empire, which was in charge in those days, wasn't much into practicing forgiveness. Certainly not the forgiveness of debts or the restoration of ancient equality. And for people who had, whose land had been foreclosed on and who were forced to resort to doing odd jobs like carpentry in order to eke out a living, the law of Jubilee must have struck them as both something beautiful and something impossible. And so for Jesus to begin his ministry by announcing that the ancient promise of the law of Jubilee, the year of God's favor, has now finally arrived. It is fulfilled in your hearing. This must have been electrifying news. The reign of God is at hand. The proclamation of the year of God's favor is actually here. It's right here, right now. God is acting today, this Saturday morning, here in Nazareth, to release debts, open eyes, free prisoners, break chains. Where we have been unable to make the Jubilee work, God will make the year of Jubilee a reality right now, right here, in your hearing. And as Luke tells it, the whole life and ministry of Jesus, right up to the final confrontation with Pilate and the cross, the whole mission of Jesus is to announce and make real the year of Jubilee in the lives of ordinary people and confronting the powers and the fears that keep us from realizing the freedom and joy of Jubilee in our actual lives. Those powers and those fears are very strong. Jesus pays dearly in his struggle against them. And even the Easter victory of Jesus does not completely set us free from their power, at least not yet. But in the meantime, the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of faith to believe that those powers and fears have in fact been defeated, and therefore we are free to start acting on that belief. We are free to start practicing Jubilee right now, right here. And one way to imagine what that looks like, it seems to me, is the famous image that Paul uses in today's second reading of the body of Christ. The human body is an amazing collection of parts that work together in deep and mysterious ways. The body has hands and feet and eyes and ears. It also has livers and gallbladders. 
It has T cells and an immune system. It has hearts and lungs and nerves and brains and systems that operate outside our conscious awareness. And every single part is essential. Now, social convention will tell you that some parts of the body are more honorable than others, but this is a lie. Every part of the body is, in fact, essential. Every part of the body is important for the good functioning of the whole. Every part of the body is a beautiful creation of the good God. And the same is true for our communities. Every person is essential. Every person is unique and irreplaceable. Now, some people may say that the blind and the crippled and the imprisoned and the impoverished are expendable. You know, they don't contribute anything. They don't build up the economy. But that's not true, says Isaiah, says Jesus. The arrival of the year of God's favor is especially good news for the blind and the crippled and the imprisoned and the impoverished. The way Paul puts it is that when there are parts of the body that are thought to be less honorable, not that they are in fact less honorable, in fact every part is honorable and essential and just as important as any other part, but when some parts are thought to be less honorable, what we do is we go out of our way to protect and dress up those parts more than others. God has so arranged the body, Paul writes, giving the greater honor to the supposedly inferior member, so that there will be no dissension within the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And that's why I think it's profoundly Christian to stand up in solidarity with anybody the society of the moment says is less than honorable and less valuable than somebody else. Poor people, sick people, people of color, queer people, old people, young people, people who don't have jobs, people who struggle with mental illness or addiction, people who have harmed others, people who are thought of as expendable or less honorable for any reason. We Christians who know better are set free to be right there making sure that they get the honor and the respect that they deserve and that is promised to them in the law of Jubilee. And we do this so that the coming reign of God will be manifest to everyone. Because we know that it is God's will that there be a jubilee. That God deeply desires us to release one another from the obligations and the burdens and the weight of the past that cripple and blind and imprison people. Because we know and can admit that in our fear, sometimes we ourselves treat others as less than we do ourselves. But most of all, because we know that God calls us beloved children anyway, that God frees us and sets us free so that we can forgive and set free 
whoever may still be bound in chains. This is the electrifying good news that Jesus once denounced in the synagogue at Nazareth, the good news that we announced this morning in Mount Vernon, the good news of God's abundant grace and mercy for all, and especially for those who really need to hear good news. Thanks for listening to our sermon podcast. You're welcome to join us for Sunday worship online or if you're in Northern Virginia in person on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. For more information about us, please visit our website at epiphanylutheran.org. Thank you.